actually took me a while to figure it out because I realized <laughs> I kept on going around in circles. This stuff was going on. And, and in essence, I just wasn't taking the action. Um, you could say I was met with resistance, okay? And what was going on is anytime something got difficult, I'd procrastinate or do something that was more fun or easier, but I wasn't taking action. But, it, but whilst I was going through this time, this 10-year period, I saw other people that were doing it. I saw other people that were going out making money. I saw other people leveling up their life. I'm like, wow, what's what's the main difference between them and me? And it Big was really question. quite obvious. It was really quite obvious. They thought differently. It was that simple. They thought differently. They, they had a different belief system that led them to taking different action. Well, so it was I, about this time I started to get interested in psychology. I started to get interested in psychology. Why am I doing some of the stuff I'm doing? Why am I... I guess I could say now, looking back, why was I self-sabotaging myself and not going for the things I wanted where the other people were? And it was all to do with the operating system in between my, my ears. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business and grow your life. We're back here for episode 92. Our guest is Akhtar Khan who's coming to us from London in the UK. He is the founder of Reaching Excellence. And the title today is Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life, and Grow Your Wealth. Akhtar is a renowned and respected high-performance property and business success coach. And he's gonna talk today about his journey, his journey from not only starting with little or nothing, but a fairly traumatic childhood that the outcome was that he had built a multi-million pound portfolio of property and real estate and more than a six-figure income that allowed him to retire, get this, at the age of 37. You want some of that? He's going to talk about how the traumas in our life, what he calls the core wounds, end up determining our belief systems. And those belief systems are essential to change in order to get to the outcomes we desire. He says just so simply, it's more important to change your thinking than to figure out what to do. He's also going to talk about how vital it is to understand the drivers for the behavior you want to change. In other words, to get to the root of the issue. And finally, he's going to talk about the role of vulnerability and transformation. He's going to talk about the reality that change can be painful, but here's the key. It's often necessary to get through that pain, but that pain is temporary. And he's also going to talk about how vital it is to have the right support with you on your transformation journey. It's going to be a deep dive into personal transformation, not only for your life, but for your business. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Get ready for an interesting conversation today. We have Akhtar Khan with us, who's coming to us from the UK his company is called Reaching Excellence. In a few minutes, you're going to figure out why. He is a renowned and respected high-performance uh, property and business success coach. And you're going to hear a lot of his story today. He had a challenging start in his life. He'll give you some of those details. Uh, listen to this story. He had no personal funds, no experience, no track record. 
So he started from scratch or maybe even less than scratch. And the outcome was in a short time, Octar built a multi-million pound portfolio of real estate, generating a six-figure income that allowed him to retire, ready for this, the age of 37. <laughs> the age of 37. So Octar is going to give you his story. He's also going to give you not just the tips. Tips is just too minimal, but he's going to give you the foundations of what it takes to achieve and reach excellence in your life and your business. So welcome, Octar. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah, pleasure to be here. So give us some of that story, Akhtar. Yeah. Okay. So let's 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 start at the very beginning. So I, I moved out of home really young. I was about 18 years of age. And uh, I moved into this small apartment and I'd been in there for a couple of days. And I get a call from the letting agent saying that the landlord wants to pop around and collect some mail. So uh, one evening there's a knock on the door. I open the door and there's this <laughs> young guy there. Uh, you got to bear in mind, I was 18 years of age. So I was one of these kids that had a baseball cap on. You know, I looked a bit like a yob. Let's just put it that way. So <laughs> I open the door, I open the door, and there's this young kid there. He says, Hey, I've come, I'm, I'm Andy. I've come to pick up the mail. And I looked at him and said, Oh, you must be the landlord's son. Uh, and this kid was like about the same age as me, dressed very similar, baseball cap on, looked like he was from the ghetto. And uh, he, he said to me, No, no, I'm your landlord. And I remember thinking, You've got to be kind of shitting me. How can this kid be my landlord? Right. I was both intrigued and rattled because it took me six months to like save up work. You know, I didn't go out with my friends. I didn't socialize. All my friends were going out to bars and clubs and I was super disciplined because I, I needed to get like my, my, my shit together so I can kind of get, you know, this place furnished and get everything I needed. But at the same time, I was intrigued. I was like, how's this kid who's the same kind of age as me managed to buy this flat? Well, Andy and I became good friends and I found out that what he did was that he'd inherited some money from a relative that passed away. He then went and borrowed some money from his dad. And he went to an auction and he bought this property for 20 grand. This is like 1992. So this is a London apartment. He bought it for 20 grand. He then went and refinanced it for 25,000, got all of his money back out of the deal. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> so at that point, I decided that I was going to become a property investor. I discovered that Andy had bought five properties, you know, using this strategy of no money left in. And that was really where things started for me. So I just made the decision to become a property investor, but it took me 10 years to do my first deal. Hmm. So people often ask me, why did it take so long? Well, you know, why did it take so long? They also ask me, why did you move out of home so young? Well, the truth be known is I grew up in a very dysfunctional family. You know, my parents split uh, when I was five. Uh, my parents were immigrants that came to the UK. Um, they were together until I was about five years of age. They separated, but they spent like a decade fighting each other like cat and dog. And everything came to a big crescendo when I got to about the age of 15, 16. They dragged me and my siblings through a really bitter, messy custody battle. My parents didn't understand the psychological and the emotional impact this was having on me. You know, I kind of was in a really bad place. So were my siblings. Mm -hmm. I didn't quite know how to handle my emotions. And it kind of came out of my behavior. I kind of started missing out on school. I started skipping school. I just kind of gave up. I just lost the will and the drive to do anything because there was so much pain and dysfunction at home that I started to kind of hang around with the wrong kind of kids. I started to skip school. I started to like, just, I gave up. I kind of didn't have a purpose, didn't have a reason. And I started just getting involved with pleasure seeking activities. So it was like, let's go out and party. Let's go out and drink. Let's, let's I discovered cannabis. I'm like, wow, this is cool. And before I knew it, I was out partying every weekend and I was kind of doing a lot of things that you didn't want your 15, 16 year old. In fact, <laughs> you know, how you didn't want your, if you've got a 15, 16 year old son and you've got this image of how you don't want him to turn out, that was me. <laughs> I was that kid, right? And I, so there's really, a big turnaround coming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
So, Akhtar, it sounds like you're definitely on the wrong road. And as Craig said, seems like there's got to be this turnaround coming because we know how the story ends, or at least thus far has ended. So what, what happens next? So, so this is what I kind of did. I got kicked out of school, and it was a point where I couldn't go back to school. Like It was too late. I couldn't go back to school. I couldn't go back to another school. And I had no skills, no qualification, no job, no hope, really. And, and also, I kind of got ousted by my peer group. So my friends were kind of going off to college and uni. Mm. I didn't fit in with that peer group anymore. But I then fit, out, fit in with all the dropouts. So that was kind of my new peer group. But that was like, in some ways, it was comforting because it was the only kind of group of friends that I had. But it was also very limiting because when you're around people who've got, you know, uh, their, their dropouts, they've just got no standards. They've got no ambitions. They've got a little drive out of life. And all they wanted to do is just do fun things or pleasure-seeking activities. Like, this is fun. Let's go game. Let's go party. Let's go smoke, whatever. But the problem with that is that becomes the benchmark and that kind of forms yeah. your, your mindset. So I got stuck in this place for a little while. And of course, the dysfunction was going on at home. It was always challenging. You know, I was, I, I was the eldest of five children. It was a single parent family. There was a ton of responsibility on me. I had to kind of deal with mom, my mum's drama. And my dad was kind of in and out. He wasn't around. Sometimes he was in the UK. Sometimes he go back to his home country. So it was a very, very messy start to life. And, you know, why it took me so long was because I knew that I wanted to become a property investor. But when it came to actually going out and doing things, right, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was procrastinating. There was a lot of fear. There was a lot of self-doubt. There was that internal voice in my head saying, well, maybe, maybe it's not for you. Being wealthy is not for you. Maybe, you know, who the hell do you think you are trying to be a property investor? What if it goes wrong? You're going to look, look even more stupid. People are going to laugh at you, you know? And then there was the whole imposter syndrome thing that was going on, you know? I wanted wow. to do stuff. Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of stuff to, to deal with. I guess, you know, most people are dealing with something like that. They just don't realize what they're, what they're facing. So you actually figured out, I, I have all this stuff going on in my head. Well, well, it took me a while to figure it out because I realized <laughs> I kept on going around in circles. This stuff was going on. And, and in essence, I just wasn't taking the action. Um, you could say I was met with resistance. Okay. And what was going on is anytime something got difficult, I'd procrastinate or do something that was more fun or easier, but I wasn't taking action. But, it, but whilst I was going through this time, this 10 year period, I saw other people that were doing it. I saw other people that were going out and making money. I saw other people leveling up their life. And I'm like, wow, what's, what's the main difference between them and me? And it was, really quite obvious. it was really quite obvious. They thought differently. Yeah. It was that simple. They thought differently. They, they had a different belief system that led them to taking different action. Well, so it was I, about this time I started to get interested in psychology. I started to get interested in psychology. Why am I doing some of the stuff I'm doing? Why am I, I guess I could say now, looking back, why was I self-sabotaging myself and not going for the things I wanted where the other people were? And it was all to do with the operating system in between my, my ears. So I kind of figured that stuff out quickly. And it was at that point I started to learn about psychology. Um, I started to, you know, I, I was around some people who are management development consultants and coaches. And I just started to open my mind up to the kind of psychology of success. Because at that point, I started to read some books. I started to learn about neurolinguistic programming. I also started to learn about psychotherapy because, you know, when you grow up in a dysfunctional family, we end up having dysfunctional patterns, you know, dysfunctional thought processes, wow. you know, a bit of a victim mindset, you know, any kind of excuse, or whatever. And if that becomes the operating system and that's what you're used to, you don't question it because you think that's normal. That's how everyone must be. So I started to see this distinction between my thought processes and my actions and my results and the thought processes and the actions and results of other people. And I realized there's, some, there's a distinction here. Gotcha. 
Well, I have to tell you, Akhtar, this may make no sense to you. It just make, works for me. As you were talking, the movie or the, the show Beauty and the Beast went through my mind. <laughs> and the reason is this, not that you're the beast, that there's a song in there that says it's something about the, it's the tale as old as time. Yes. There's a song. And I'm thinking you live the tale as old as time because, you know, you're this person. Frankly, it's a train wreck, right? You're making these horrible decisions. It's a train wreck. And then you figured out what to do, <laughs> except you didn't. You figured out how to think because that's the answer. It's that's not to figure out what to do. And everybody's trying to figure out what to do. Right. But you figured out that this is a, something about how I think and how I see things. And that to me clearly was the turning point and the accelerator. Yeah. Absolutely. A train wreck is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it was a, it was a multiple train wreck. It was a pileup. That's really what the reality of it was. So you know, com coming back to this point of knowing what to think, it, it was really at that point I started to examine my thought processes. What am I thinking, and what action is it leading to? Is this thought process helpful and useful? Is it leading me forwards, or is this help? Is this thought process putting me into an emotional pit or a hole and making me feel yeah. crap or depressed? Well, so, and it, I, I'm I really curious to jump right into this when you. You, you, you had this over period of time, 10 years where you really didn't do your first deal. How you were out reading and learning at what point or at any point did you get some sort of outside perspective, hmm. whether it was yeah. your coach counseling, whatever it was. Yeah. I, I tell you what happened. I was still involved in that party rave scene. So I had one foot in that kind of camp of, you know, partying and everything else. And I had this other foot kind of in into sort of entrepreneurship and personal development. And one day, you know, I went out and I partied. One of the things was I really enjoyed partying quite a lot. You know, I was a bit of a party animal. I was one of those wild party boys. And I realized, you know, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have a decent job. I had crappy job after crappy job. I used to zip around on a moped delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. <laughs> I worked in a, in a wait, as a waiter in an Indian restaurant. I even stacked shelves in a supermarket. So things were pretty crap back then. But the highlight of my, my kind of weekend was actually going out and partying. But I saw an opportunity there, which was I could be a DJ. I could get into these clubs for free. You know, I could party. You know, I'd be in these clubs. I, I even DJed on pirate radio. So I kind of developed this kind of sort of career hobby in, in DJing and being part of this club scene. But the problem with that club scene is that if you go back to the early 90s and that whole rave scene, recreational drugs were part of everyday life. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, I'd escalated. And I started using ecstasy. So ecstasy was my drug of choice back then. Mm -hmm. It was fun, but it gave me what I now know to be an escape from a load of trauma that was hidden underneath the surface. And one day I partied a little bit too hard. I nearly OD'd on ecstasy. And that, that was the really the catalyst. That was like, oh, wow. Like, I've, I nearly died, right? I nearly died. You know, this was wow. kind of crazy and reckless. But it was at that point I had this real wake up with, you know what? You've got to sort your life out. You can't keep piddling around like this because this is going to kill you. You need to sort, sort yourself out, get yourself on the right track, but you also need to find what's underneath the surface is driving you to go and do this pleasure-seeking behaviors. What is it really about? So at that point, I thought, I, I've got to make a tough choice. I've got to leave behind this whole rave scene. I've got to leave behind this whole peer group. I've got to then cut myself off from that because if I don't, it's going to kill me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's at that point, my mind back, jumped back to meeting Andy and like, you know what? You've you got to do this now, okay? You know there's a way forwards. I knew that property and real estate was going to help me to build wealth. I also knew deep down inside at some point in the future, I'd want to settle down and have my own family. And I, I can't be a DJ with a family, right? It just doesn't work. 
I needed something that was a bit more solid. So it was at that point, that was the catalyst for me to really put myself under the microscope and then start moving forward. So I left that whole lifestyle behind. Um, I got a job that would, you know, as a, as a kind of subcontractor that paid me some decent money. And about a year later of working my butt off and I was working some serious hours, I actually managed to raise the funds for a deposit for my first property. And I bought my first property. So that was the catalyst for me changing that kind of lifestyle. Wow. So I, one of the things that you've referred to several times in there is your peer group and how, how much of an impact that really has on people. And I, I see that time and again, and it is one of the toughest things to change because you're, you're so comfortable with those people and yet you don't, there's that unknown of shifting. So what was that like when you decided to make that change? Very, very uncomfortable at best. <laughs> and, and at times it was painful. And, you know, knowing what I know now, you know, when you're in a peer group, okay, it, it, it taps back into some deep survival mechanisms within us. We need to be part of a tribe. We need to be part of a peer. We need to be part of a yep. group. It's essential for our survival. So we're tribal by nature. So we need to be part of a tribe. So when you're in a tribe like that, okay, and if it's not the right tribe for you, the minute you try to ascend and go out, it threatens the existence of the tribe. So you'll have people go, hey, Craig, why do you want to do that? That's not really a smart move. Hey, Jeff, why do you want to do that? You should stick with us and do this stuff here, you know? And they will dissuade you unconsciously yeah. because what it does is it threatens the existence of the group. But also when you start to ascend, it points and shines the light on the things that they're not quite doing. So you, you've wow. got this kind of pull from both angles. Like you're, you're trying to ascend and leave the group because you want to better, better your life. So they, and, and also they want to pull you back into it because it's a survival of the group. They feel comfortable. They feel uncomfortable when you leave it. So it's a real tough thing to do. You will get pulled back in. It's, I think they call it crab mentality, right? So yep. you know, if you put crabs in a bucket, you know, one tries to climb out, the others will just pull it back in and keep pulling, back, pulling it back in. That's what happens when, when it's a group dynamic. And this can be a peer group. It can even be your family as well, a group, you know, social group. People will pull you back in. But you have to look at the cost of that. You know, if those people don't want to come with you or they're not going to support you, it's detrimental to you. So I, I've had to do this numerous times throughout my life where I've ascended or outgrown a peer group. You have to leave. But when you leave that peer group, it can be lonely, right? You can feel very lost. You can feel like, yeah. you know, you've lost direction. You don't know which way is up and down. It's very disorientating. It taps into that deep, deep need for survival again. But the key thing is once you make that transition out of that group, it won't take you long to find a new peer group who are aligned yeah. to your, your values, your beliefs, your outcomes, your objectives. And that's what I had to do. For, for a period of time, I left that group. It was very uncomfortable. It was very unsocial. It was very lonely. Okay. Yeah. And then, then I got to a point where I started to meet the right kind of people who had the right kind of values, the right kind of goals, and I formed a new peer group. Wow, that is so good. It reminds me of when uh, one of my sons was in high school, he had gotten into a group that, you know, not, not to the extent that, you know, partying like you were doing, but, you know, we, we found some things that was like, okay, uh, maybe, maybe we need to have a discussion. So I talked with him and I said, you know, is this where you want to go? Is this the path you want to take? And he decided uh, not really. I said, well, the key thing you have to do is really think about the people that you're hanging out with. That next week, totally did a 180 and, and had a totally different group of friends who ended up being valedictorian, um, Air Force Academy, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and just a good group of folks. Like, oh my gosh, hats off to you. You know, well, it's not easy for sure. I want to emphasize two things here that I heard you say, because yes, we have to be careful about who we choose in our groups. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but and the thing I heard you say in addition, Akhtar, and I, it's something I've gone through and not a lot of people get it, frankly. Um, it's something I've said recently in the last five or six years that in order for any of us to really fully be ourselves and live the life we're meant to live, whatever that is, I believe we have to be willing to lose everybody. Uh, I agree. Everybody. doesn't mean we will, but to the degree that we're attached to people and groups, if we are, we end up making decisions that may not, and and these are hard decisions, but there's got to be this willingness. And when I share that, a lot of people say, well, no, no, you'll (laughs) never lose me. And they're not bad influences sometimes. It's not. It's just, you know, there's this evolution that happens and not everybody in these various groups evolves. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I I totally agree with you on that point. I think it's it, sometimes it's the attachment that people have to these groups, the beliefs that they've got around that, or, you know, Hey, I've known this person for X amount of time. Therefore I should fill in the blanks. Okay. But actually, if you understand the psychology is that sometimes these people will, will, will influence you even, even the subconsciously, you know, they say, I think in entrepreneurship, they say you become the sum total of the five people that you hang around with, right? right. So if you're, on a, if you're on a journey to ascend, to excel, to reach excellence, whatever you want to call it, to grow and to better yourself and live your best life, then you have to be around the kind of people that are living the life that you want to have. So you've yeah. got to ascend, which means you have to be willing to let those people go. And I, and I think that is a really tough decision. And you also said an important thing just because you're willing to let them go, it doesn't mean that everyone is going to go or everyone is going to disappear. Some people will come with you on the journey or some people will yeah. still stay in your life, but you have to be willing to let them go. It's a tough call. Well, and yeah. I think you also, the other piece that people don't think about is you have to look below the surface because, you know, if someone's, and what are your values? Like if someone says, well, I want to have immense financial success and well, great, nothing wrong with that. And then they look at people who are financially successful but don't look at what does it took what did it take for them to get there? Uh, what might be driving them? I, I have someone I know who is very financially successful, but has acknowledged to me that he wants to be financially successful because he needs it. He needs it to feel good about himself. Hmm. So he needs the most expensive, flashy car. He buys houses bigger than he needs because it makes him feel good about himself. So I'm like, yeah, I don't really want to that's not my model (laughs) yeah so for me to put him in my life because he's got financial success is not going to serve me well because basically i ended up pursuing wealth and financial success because i'm incomplete well so it's it's no i think i love the fact that and frankly at a relatively young age yeah you started this journey because that's something that as a guy who started this journey at 50 the journey mm-hmm. you're talking about really for me started at 50. Go, man, that would have been really cool to start a little early. <laughs> but we start when we start, right? We yeah, start when yeah. we start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, we do start when we start. And I think the key thing is like, you know, I, I mentor a lot of people and everyone's like trying to get somewhere. And I have to say to them, look, this is a journey. This is a lifelong journey. You know, you think you're going to get somewhere. And then when you get there, you're going to, you know, you're going to change your goals. You're going to ascend. You're going to get used to or comfortable with that level of lifestyle or wealth or comfort that you have, that you're going to pursue something more. So it's a constant journey. But the fact is, if we started, we started. That's all that matters, you know? <laughs> well, you know, Oscar, an important question is, and I don't know if this is true, but the way you described it, in some ways, you hit a bottom. You oh, had yeah. that overdose, almost died, 
and then made decisions to shift. And unfortunately, a lot of people, that's where it takes. They have to get to some sort of bottom. But you mentor people, you coach people. So talk about that idea of when do we have to get to the bottom and what can be these other turning points? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, really, when I look back over my journey and what I've seen with other people, it's either desperation or inspiration. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if if I share with you, like, what happened, I bought my first deal. Okay. It took me 10 years to buy that first deal. But it then took me another eight years to buy three property deals because I was doing things the very old-fashioned vanilla way of doing things. I didn't know or understand the clever, creative, and advanced ways of building a property portfolio. And, and, And back then, there wasn't a kind of education you have now it wasn't the social media we didn't have facebook groups and all that kind of stuff so it was very um you, you know it, the, the kind of information the knowledge that's out there right now which just wasn't available back then so i did yeah. things using a very very vanilla model of doing things. and it got to a point where uh eight years later i by this point i sort of settled down i i was you know, married i had my first daughter uh, and then something happened which was another catalyst you know a close friend of the family passed away you know uh, a good friend of mine, his wife passed away completely suddenly, completely out of the blue. Uh, and she was the same age as me. Mm. And that experience was like, it, it was it was shocking because she left behind a loving husband, three young kids, and seeing the devastation that was left behind from her death and seeing what the kids went through just brought up another load of pain. It just brought up, it took me back to my childhood not having mm. a parent around. And again, it brought up a load of pain. And I started to think about my partner and I started to think about my daughter my daughter was two and a half at the time. And I remember thinking, well, what happens to my partner and my daughter if anything happened to me? Would, would they manage? Would they cope? It was actually the wrong question. It was like, how badly would they struggle? And at that point, I realized that I hadn't done enough. I hadn't achieved enough wealth. I hadn't pushed myself enough. And I'd got used to just being comfortable keeping my head above water. I thought I was doing okay. I was doing all right in terms of my job. You know, I had some investment property. But I was, it was mediocre, right? By my standards today, it was mediocre. And I didn't have a big enough reason to push myself. So it was at this point, I realized my paradigm has shifted. for a couple of months, I was in this kind of place of no man's land. That was the, the big catalyst that made me realize that I was playing too small. You know, I was selling my time for money. I was in a job. I didn't quite like it. I didn't have all the time I needed. I didn't have the financial freedom that I wanted. And it was that experience that made me realize that I've got to level up here. I've got to go and do some work. And at that point, I joined a property mastermind Mm. and I was like a man on a mission. You know, I was, Mm -hmm. (sighs) failure was not an option for me. You know, I think the thing for me that was a big driver was that, you know, it's one thing to do something for yourself, but if you've got children or you've got other people that you care about, they're a bigger reason. You'll sometimes do more for someone else than what you will do for yourself. So my daughter was a huge driver for me and my, my family was a huge driver for me. So I joined this property mastermind. And I just went hell for leather. I just learned everything aggressively and I just put everything into practice because it was almost like a life or death scenario for me. It's like, <laughs> I've got to do this to make sure my family were okay. So at the end of the year, there was like 60 people that had, you know, had been on this mastermind. There's, they had like a, an end of year, better your best competition. And it was really just to see who'd made the most progress. So nine people had entered, seven had bought one property. Uh, one guy bought two properties. This other person had bought nine individual properties, bought a portfolio of 12, set up two letting agencies and did a land deal. That person was me. And, (laughs) you know, I I blew it out of the water and I didn't have anything different. I didn't have more money. I didn't have more skill. What I did have by this point was not just just the, the, the property and the real estate strategies, 
But by this point, I was pretty experienced and had a, quite a good understanding of mindset and what my mindset blocks were. Interesting. So as, as well as working with the real estate coaches, side by side in tandem, I worked alongside a mindset coach because every time I ascended, wow. I hit a wall. And every time I hit a wall, so there was that voice in my head saying, who are you? Who do you think you are? You know, right. you can't do this. You're not good enough. You shouldn't be doing this. There was all this, these beliefs that started to come up. And what I realized at this point was all the crap that I'd gone through in my past and my childhood and everything else had caused trauma in me. Okay. And, and what is trauma? Trauma is just an unprocessed emotion and a set of beliefs. Um, so in psychology, they, they call this stuff core wounds. These are the wounds that you've got that affect the operating system of your mind. So I had to push through and break through these core wounds that I had, these core beliefs with the associated pain and trauma. So I was working side by side with you know, learning the property and real estate strategies, but, but healing these core wounds, these deeper core beliefs that I had, that if they were, if they were left unchecked, they would stop me. They'd, they'd make me procrastinate. They'd make me sabotage. They'd make me kind of go off in different directions. And a lot of this stuff was unconscious. So that was kind of the secret source. That's what I was doing. So I was kind of going forwards, putting these things into practice. And anytime there was any resistance, I'd go and work with this mindset coach to do some deep work to transform my, my thought processes, wow. my belief. And that was what I was doing. So as well as like learning the property and real estate strategies, I was upgrading the operating system of my mind. And I was doing this intensively for a year. So at the end of that year, I won that better your best. Um, I won a, a car. Um, they gave me this little Audi, but I renegotiated for an Audi Cabriolet, which was great, to, great on my part. <laughs> but off the back of that, um, I had discovered this, this kind of blueprint of doing things. And I realized previously that the challenge that I have and so many other people have is actually implementing a strategy. It's being able to execute a strategy. And the reason they get, they get stuck is because when it comes to putting things into practice, they get met with resistance. So what is resistance? Resistance is the fear. Resistance is the, the limiting beliefs. Resistance is the lack of confidence. Resistance is the imposter syndrome or the shiny penny syndrome. Where does all that stuff come from? It comes from the glitches inside our belief system and the past pain and trauma that we've got that stops us whenever we get out of our comfort zone. Wow. Whenever you're trying to go from point A to point B, you need to have a different set of beliefs to, to put something new into practice. So of course, all your old beliefs that have kept you safe and survived in your current reality, they're going to come up and try and hold you back because your brain just yeah. wants to keep you alive. It doesn't want you to excel. So that part of your brain that's responsible for survival will go, hang on a second. What are you doing trying to get more money? What are you trying, what are you, what, this is all new stuff. We don't know how to do this. I call it caveman syndrome. It wants to keep you back in the cave, keep you doing what's familiar. So this is, the, this is what I realized that was part of my journey was, hang on, this is why I spent 10 years going round in circles stressed out because I didn't realize there was these things that were hidden underneath the surface that were holding me back. So as soon as I realized this stuff and thought, wow, this is the missing piece, it's understanding the psychology and the mindset that you need to implement a year later, I was running my own mastermind and I was teaching people not only the property and the business strategies, but I was teaching them the mindset stuff and how to overcome the resistance. So that's what I was doing a year later. So I remember having a guy come to um, do a talk in my mastermind. He said to me, Actor, I've never known anyone to win a mastermind than a year later run their own mastermind. I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So I think one of the things that's so important about what you've talked about is we, we all go to different classes. We, we try to learn different things. But if we don't have the right mindset, it's going to be really difficult or if not impossible to actually implement some of those things. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of those classic uh, learning junkies. I have all sorts of training programs. And sometimes I'll actually do something with one of them, you know? So it's, it's like a go get all that great learning, but then 
it's not put into place because I don't have the wiring to make that happen. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Leadership Junkies podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartevera.com. Welcome back. Help, help me understand or help us understand what it is that we need to think about to start activating that. Absolutely. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about this in two points, okay? So I recently wrote a book, which is my methodology for implementation. It's called The Code of Reaching Excellence. Yeah. What does it do? It navigates two things. It navigates where a roadmap. So I have a, a model called the four phases of implementation. So what happens is, let's say someone goes onto a course or a workshop or a mastermind. And you know the first thing is they're, they're pumped, they're excited. They're like, great, I'm going to go and learn this real estate strategy. I'm going to go learn this marketing strategy. I'm going to learn how to buy businesses. And what happens, people go into what I call the euphoria phase, which is it feels good, you feel pumped, you're, you're hyped and psyched and everything else. Because at this point, we have a full sense of achievement. Like we think because we're learning this stuff, we're going to be able to go out and execute it. Right. right. So we have this full sense of achievement, right? This is where you get, this is why course junkies happen. People are addicted to that good feeling when they go and do a course, okay? Yeah. <laughs> then when you go to put things into practice, what happens then is you get met with the next phase, which I call the epiphany phase, which is people go, aha, <laughs> oh, shoot, right? This is harder than what I realized. Because at this point, what happens is you're now out of your comfort zone trying to implement a strategy that you don't know how to do. You yeah. may be top of your game in your career or your business or whatever else it is that you do. And here you are now at the bottom of the learning curve, feeling a little bit inadequate, perhaps a little stupid. Um, maybe, maybe I'm going to sound stupid or say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Okay. And it feels uncomfortable. So we're now in this place where we're uncomfortable because at this point here, we have un we we we're now conscious of our incompetency, okay? Yeah. So at this point, we're now out of our comfort zone. We don't feel good, right? Because we're now like, you know, we don't know what to do. We've discovered all these little nuances and distinctions that we don't know, okay? Because your guru, your mentor said, you know, it's three steps to do this or six steps to doing that. You think, great, this is a great model, but there's lots of little distinctions in between. So it's at this place where people have uh, the, the resistance and that kind of epiphany of, hang on, this is a lot harder than what I thought it was going to be. Most people here, because they don't know how to navigate the internal resistance, the, the stress, the overwhelm, the fear, the negative self-talk, you know, if, uh, the, the imposter syndrome, the shiny penny syndrome, which is where people are uncomfortable here. When they're in this place, the thing is that it's uncomfortable at best. Worst case is um, it's painful. So what do they want to do? They want to relieve themselves of that discomfort and pain, and they want to go back to doing what they know to be comfortable and familiar. So I see this all the time. I have people go, hey, look, I want to quit my job. I want to start a business. I want to, get, I want to build a, a property portfolio. They get hyped up. They get pumped up. They're in that euphoria phase. They start to learn some stuff. They start to put into practice. Then they get into the epiphany phase. And all of a sudden, they're out of their comfort zone. And they go, oh, maybe my job wasn't so bad after all. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't really like my boss, but you know, he's actually not that bad. And they talk themselves out of it because of the discomfort that they're feeling. Okay, So this is the point where I see people just bouncing backwards and forwards. And they go, Maybe it's not real estate. Maybe I should go into, you know, trading. Maybe I should go into buying businesses. Maybe I should go into stocks and shit, whatever it is. And they bounce from strategy to strategy. They get caught in this loop 
uh, and they're stuck because they do not understand what's going on beneath the surface, right? So the key thing here is to understand what's going on beneath the surface, that this stuff is absolutely normal. Because one of the other things that happens, and I always, whenever I do a talk or I, I go and do a talk somewhere, I just don't sugarcoat stuff because I think people need to know this stuff. If you're not aware of this stuff, that people go through this stuff, then you're, you're not feeling like, oh, there's something wrong with me. Maybe I'm the only one that's feeling this stuff. Because as entrepreneurs, we want to be infallible. We want to be there smashing it. We want to make a dent in the universe. We want to be able to like stand on top of the mountain and put our flag in the, you know, in the snow, so to speak, and go, look how great I am. Look at what I've done. But the reality is when it comes to implementing stuff and going through that learning curve, it's not always easy. So the first yeah. thing I do is I share this stuff with people. And I've had it before where I go and do talks. I've done like, like you know, seminars and things like that. And afterwards, people creep up to me afterwards and like they kind of wait till no one's around and go, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing that right now, you know, <laughs> and, they, and they get it because yeah. it's uncomfortable to talk about. So the first thing is we need to be open about this stuff and address that this stuff is going to happen whenever you go through growth. So one question that comes to mind, Akhtar, is so much of this is unconscious. You can totally. use that word a lot, and it is. So that's an obstacle. But what do you find is the real obstacle and how do you help people get past the obstacle of unconsciousness? You can get up and say, this is your issue, but that's not enough. They have to be open even to themselves to acknowledge this is going on, right? So how do you help them do that? Absolutely. You, you really do have to be uh, awake. You know, what, one of the uh, analogies I use with people, and this is something I do in my talk, and it's also in my book, is if you think of the film, The Matrix, you know, um, there's the, you know, the red pill, blue pill moment, right? If you really want to succeed and you want to level up your, your business and your personal life, okay, you need to be willing to take the red pill and wake up and see the truth, okay? Yeah. For most people, ignorance is, people think ignorance is, is bliss. It's not. Ignorance is ignorance, okay? <laughs> so so, so that, that's the bottom line. So I, I have to kind of call people out and say, look, if you really want to get unstuck, if you really want to, to have the things that you say you want, are you willing to see the cold, hard truth? And most people will say yes, okay? And it's uncomfortable because once they start to see the truth about what's going on, it means they have to acknowledge some, some stuff. They've got to put themselves under the microscope. They've got to start seeing that, hey, I'm stuck. I'm running this pattern of behavior. I'm procrastinating. I'm putting this off. I'm making these BS excuses. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm running, you know, shiny penny syndrome or imposter syndrome. They have to first address that and acknowledge that, okay? And see that this is actually very normal, okay? Yeah. When you can, when you can, when you can show people that a lot of people go through this stuff, it takes the edge and it takes the sting off it. So inside my academy, we have this very open culture of telling the truth, being honest. Okay, There's no judgment. There's no clicks. It's a very unconditionally loving and supportive environment where people can come. They can drop the mask. They don't have to be anything. There's no egos there. And people are just a little bit vulnerable and go, hey, this is what I'm struggling with right now. And then the next thing that happens is people go, I've been there or I know where it's like, well, I'm going through that right now. That then takes people off the hook and they go, oh, wow, it's not just me. I thought I was the only person that's going through that. So the first thing is awareness, okay, and being in this, the right environment. So we spoke earlier on about being in the right tribe. So in my, in my academy, in my tribe, this is the culture of what we do. You don't need to be smashing it. When, when, when people are smashing it, we celebrate their wins. But when they're struggling, there's this culture of being open and honest about it. And everyone is very supportive very accepting, very tolerant, and zero judgment, okay? I won't accept that in my, in my academy, in my, in my community, because it doesn't help anyone, okay? Right. So that's the first step. It's just realizing and seeing that this is normal, but you have to be aware of this stuff, because as you said, 
uh, it's unconscious. And if you're not aware of it, it's going to trip you over and you're going to do what I did, which is spend a decade going around in circles. So let, let me, let's talk about procrastination. You've used that <laughs> word a lot. And um, I'll, st- I'll just throw out my belief. My belief is that procrastination actually doesn't exist. That procrastination is an outcome of one of two things. Fear is just usually also tied to some self-limiting belief. Every time. So yep. like, I don't even use the word. I don't say to people, I've pro- been procrastinating on this. I'll say, you know, I'm not getting where I want on this. I know I'm afraid of something because I know I don't have to figure it out. I've decided for myself that procrastination is an outcome of fear. And so how hard do you find it for people to get past? Because it's easy to say, I'm just procrastinating. All I need to do is focus. <laughs> All right. Good luck with that focus thing. <clears throat> Yeah, my, my, I, I totally agree with you. It's normally down to fear or, or you know, it's, it's normally down to fear or a belief, okay? So one of the things I do is teach people, you can't own this and go, hey, I'm just procrastinating right now and use it as an excuse, okay? No, you're just not doing what you need to do. So let's address this and get to what the root is. What are you afraid of right now? What's the real fear around this, okay? What is it you don't want to do? So is it, is it down to fear? Is it down to a belief or is it just that you don't enjoy this particular task that you're doing? It doesn't give you the dopamine hit that you might get when you go on your phone and look at social media or whatever it may be. It may be something in your mind that you perceive as being stressful or overwhelming or boring, you know? Yes, I would have said, uh, you know, another thing that comes up for me for procrastination is energy. And if I'm in a low energy state, I'm much less likely to take, take on something that I know I need to get done. Yeah, um, I, I, but, I, but that may be the the fear of facing that that requires more energy than than what i'm doing i don't know uh open to feedback yeah i i agree with you on that point as well and what i've seen in my own experience is when i'm low energy or i'm tired something can seem overwhelming and it's almost like i don't want to do it because i might not achieve it and that might not make me feel so good about myself or i won't be able to complete the task yeah (laughs) Yeah, what if my low energy is the outcome of my belief system and my fear yeah Oh, I'm afraid and I have a self-limiting belief. Oh, I don't want to face that. So my energy will be low. But once my energy's back, this will rock. Yeah. And see, that's the thing right there. To use the word earlier, Akhtar, to me, that belief system about energy is a victim mindset. Huh. Yep. Even if I say I can go do something to get my energy up, well, then go do it right now then. Do it right now, and then the procrastination would go away. I think there's a, I think that's the thing that I find so often is there's there's so much unconscious victimhood in our culture. Totally. No one would ever label it because it sounds awful, and we think that victims are the people that are going, oh no no no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, that I, thing, I, that guy over there. Well, that's the victim. As soon as you point your finger, that's what victims do. They point their finger at people and situations yeah. <laughs> and say, "You need to change." Once that changes, I'll be good. <laughs> exactly. I think you know we're going to go off into a slightly different topic with the victim, the victim mindset stuff. But this is a payoff for it. There's a benefit to being a victim or having that victim mindset. You yeah. vol- you avoid responsibility. Yeah. You know, and, and also you can manipulate people. Hey, look at me. I'm in a victim shit pit right now. <laughs> Excuse my language. Right. I need some help. I need this. I need that. Or you know, there's lots of reasons why people can get into a victim space. You know, it can be to manipulate others. It can be to let get people to let them off the hook. Um, it can be, you know, um, to, to get people to do things for them. You know, look, look at what you failed to do for me or look at what you did to me, right? It's just, it's a very messy, complicated place to be. And this is normally in the dynamic of interpersonal relationships. 
But when it comes to doing stuff, we can be, hey, I'm a victim of this or I'm a victim of that and use it as an excuse. We have to take ownership and responsibility. You know, we have to really take ownership and responsibility of everything that's going on, you know, in our lives. Because ultimately, if we don't, we're disempowering ourselves, right? We, we're saying, hey, I can't, I can't sort this out. I can't fix this. I'm, I'm helpless and powerless. Well, that's like putting your, you know, a, 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 what they call it, a ball ring through your nose and allowing something to lead you, right? <laughs> you, you can't do that, right? You can do if you want to, but if you want to, if you want to like excel in your life, you've got to take responsibility. You've got to look, put yourself under the microscope and be honest with yourself brutally. And of course, sometimes we're in a state of denial. We don't want to see certain things about ourselves. But if you want to grow, if you want to level up, you've got to be willing to put yourself under the microscope and see those things that might make you feel uncomfortable. But actually seeing the truth is going to set you free as long as you take action on it. Well, you haven't used this word a lot. You have used it a few times. And right that last piece, what I was hearing was you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Totally. You have to be willing to be messy and unclear. And that terrifies most of us. Uh, of course, of course, because if you think about it, how have we been conditioned? Okay, we've all been conditioned to you need to be a good boy or a good girl. You know, you need to behave a certain way. Okay, you got to get good grades at school. You got to not fight with your brothers and sisters and do what your mom and dad tells you. We, we're afraid to be messy. We're afraid to be vulnerable. We're afraid to like not look like we've got our stuff together because at some point in the past we were either chastised or punished for it. Okay, so it's it's natural that most of us are going to have an aversion to looking messy, being vulnerable. You know. Um, dropping our masks. This is how we've had to cope and navigate throughout the world. But there's a problem with that, okay? That keeps us feeling very alone and isolated because we're hiding in essence, right? We're hiding. And I say this to people, like whenever I coach people or I mentor people, drop the mask. There's no ego here, okay? If you don't drop the mask, I cannot help you and I can't serve you, right? I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to criticize you. Everything that you think that you're going through that you think is you know, unacceptable, messy, vulnerable, or you're even ashamed of, I can tell you this, I've probably gone through it myself. Yeah. Jeff, uh, you probably didn't realize this, but Jeff actually wrote the book called Unmasked. Oh, cool. Unmasked. <laughs> <laughs> I was just making a note about that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you've said something that I think so much of this to me is about awareness because I can't change something until I'm willing to be aware of it. And I also believe that awareness alone is not enough. Because I know there are times I fell in love with awareness. Like I would, I would notice something. Oh, that's that part of me that wants that. Except I wouldn't do anything different. <laughs> right. But let me talk, let me ask you this question. We've talked about all these different experiences we have, and I, I believe there's a core experience. I won't even call it a wound that almost every human being has that feeds this, and it's about love or unconditional love versus conditional love. Totally. That as children. We grow up and initially we have, I believe, sort of in it from a spiritual sense, it's a belief that love is unconditional. Then all of a sudden we have these messages that say differently and we're not, our brains aren't wired to figure it out because we hear things, all those things you said, get good grades. Well, oh, so if I don't get good grades, I'm not good enough. If I don't get good grades, then you don't love me. You'll love me more if I get good grades. No one ever said that. But that, that becomes this thing, and there's this search for unconditional love. But the whole world has told us, yeah, no, you can get loved if you do everything right and if you're successful. And the people who aren't, because none of us are fully, maybe ever fully successful, we're always going to feel like, well, I'm, I'm failing, and now I'm not lovable. Absolutely. I, th this is the very core 
of a lot of the challenges that that human beings have. And, you know, it's something that we talk and we teach in my academy because you're absolutely right. If you think of a child, you know, the first six, seven years of a child's life, they're going through that imprinting stage, which means, you know, they've gotten, they haven't developed consciousness. So it's a survival mechanism. So what they have to do is download everything. They learn about how to interact. They learn about the rules of their family and interacting because that's the survival mechanism. It sets up the blueprint. So you think of a young baby till about 18 months or two years of age, it is loved unconditionally. Someone tends to its every need, you know, it's loved, you know, it wakes up in the middle of the night, it's loved, it's loved, it's loved unconditionally. Then it gets to an age where, you know, there's a level of independence and parents start saying, well, you should do this and you shouldn't do that, you know, and we go into this kind of punishment reward system. And that's when we start to go, hang on a second. Oh, if I do this, I'll be loved. If I don't do this, I'll be not loved. I'll be told off. I'll be sent to have time out. I'll be yelled at. I'll be chastised, whatever it may be. And to a child, that feels like rejection and abandonment because that's all a child can, can interpret it to, it to be. So to a child, abandonment is like death. It's, it's a child's biggest nightmare. If my parents don't accept me, if I'm rejected and I'm abandoned, who the hell is going to take care of me? I'm going to yeah. die. I can't survive without my parents. So it's terrifying. And it's these things that can cause trauma in us that we don't even realize that we've got. And then we become, you know, we grow up with this, need to please people, need to do things right, you know, need, need to you know, get good grades, et cetera, et cetera. And when we don't do those things and we don't achieve those things, we can only make it mean that we're not lovable, we're not good enough, we're not worthwhile, and a whole load of other limiting beliefs that happen. But this is what causes those glitches in our belief system. So when we are, if you go, if you fast forward to, to us in adulthood, whenever we're trying to ascend our life, well, guess what happens when we get into that epiphany phase and we're in that resistance? That's all the stuff that comes up. That's yeah. all the stuff that creates the fear, makes us feel not good enough, creates the, you know, the, the stress and the overwhelm because we're afraid now. We're almost reliving that stuff again. What if I get it wrong? The amount of my mentees and students that come to me and go, do you know what? I'm, I'm scared you're going to tell me off. I'm like, really? <laughs> you know, I'm going to push you, but I'm not going to tell you off. I'm scared of your disapproval. Like We have this very open uh, culture. I'm like, well, you know I'm not going to disapprove you. I'm going to help and support you. Why is that? Because it's what they've been conditioned and used to. You know. So we've, we, we've all got this conditioning where we want to please people. And we also want to avoid pain. So we, you know, a lot of us learn that if we made mistakes, you know, sometimes we were chastised, sometimes we were slapped, beaten, whatever it would have been. We've learned that if we make a mistake or we get it wrong, there is some form of pain or punishment. Not, not everyone was lucky enough to have, to have a parent that said, hey, what did you learn from this? Okay, you spilled the milk. Okay, so what? What, what, what can we do about it? Oh, we'll just clean it up. Okay, great. Let's just do that then. What would you do differently next time? Many of us didn't have parents like that. And I've got two daughters. When I started out, I didn't quite parent them that way. But luckily, <laughs> I caught myself in time. Yes. I caught myself in time and I started to change the way I parented because I learned this stuff and I thought, I don't want to, get, I don't want to pass that on to my kids. I want my kids to feel unconditionally loved and that they can make mistakes and they can grow. And we can learn from it all, which yeah. is what so many of us didn't get. And this is one of the things that happens. We get this performance anxiety of, hey, we want to accelerate. You know, we want to excel in life. We want to have a better relationship. We want to have more wealth. We want to have the finer things and the business and the freedom and life on our terms, but we're afraid of making those mistakes. We're yeah. afraid of getting it wrong. You know, that's, that's what happens. It's all this stuff that's conditioned into us. So I'm wondering um, how much of that can be changed by self-love. So in other words, not depending upon somebody else to, um, you know, if they look at you wrong, you, your world is crushed. So, th- I mean, is that something that helps to counteract that or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it can, but I think there needs to be a process that people go through. So okay. 
when when I'm working with people, we're working with people on two fronts. We're obviously teaching the practical business or property strategies, but we're also doing a level of personal development here, which is number one, first of all, making them aware of, you know, the, the resistance, the things that they're going to, you know, trip them up. That's the first thing. Then it's a process of helping them to like upgrade their belief system, but it's also undoing those fears, undoing those um, traumas or mini traumas and stuff they've had. How do we do that? Okay. Well, we have this fundamental principle. People share the truth about themselves, which means vulnerable, being vulnerable. They then create the opportunity for other people to really see who they are. They drop the masks, they drop the identity and everything else. They come on group calls and they get people to like, just see who they really are. They get people to see them when they are messy, right? <laughs> Scary thing to do. And it, it takes yeah. people a little bit of time to do that. When they see other people getting a bit messy, they go, okay, great. I understand that. What that then does is it creates the opportunity for acceptance. And it's that acceptance that's really healing. So if you think of unconditional love for a moment, if someone creates the opportunity where people can see them, see them like being messy and other people can accept them and they feel really seen and accepted in their messy state, what they then learn is it rewires the brain to go, hey, I don't need to fear this. I don't need to be worried about this. I don't need to hide. I don't need to put on this front anymore. I can just turn up and show up and be like this and know it's okay. That takes away all the fear, it undoes the anxiety, and it lets people be very authentic, but it also puts people in a really nice space where they can just show up however they are, ask for whatever help and support they need, and then they can be led, guided, mentored, taught, whatever they need to do to get to that next phase of their journey, whatever that may be. But that's really the principle of it, and I think you, people need to have that first. What, what I've seen and what I've experienced is when people receive that kind of unconditional love and acceptance first, what that, done is that, what that does is that then helps them to kind of reprogram their thought processes and their beliefs, helps them to get rid of the fear and anxiety. Once they've received that kind of love and support and acceptance, they're then able to give that to other people. And then once they've done that, that's when they can apply it to themselves and go, you know what? I'm actually going to be a little bit softer on myself. I'm not going to beat myself <laughs> up so much. I'm going to cut myself a little bit of slack, and I'm just going to give myself the self-love or the self-care that I need whilst Good. I'm going through whatever it is I'm going through. It's interesting how our life experiences give us new teaching because I was talking to someone yesterday about painting, uh, about painting something. And just that whole story, I had this metaphor of painting around this acceptance and self-love because let's say you've got a wall that is jet, is jet black, but you're going to paint it light yellow. <laughs> you could theoretically put enough coats of that light yellow on it to cover it up but by the time you get there it's going to take a long time a lot of coats and the black stuff the jet black is still going to shine through it's still going to be in there but the better approach is let me strip some of that black and now let me put a primer on it and then let me put layer on this and i think from my experience i agree with you in my coaching and in my friendships so many people want to just put on a new coat of paint and not do the work behind that so that that coat of paint will actually look like you want it to be and be what you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. You know, we, we have to kind of do the deeper work on the inside, you know, you can, otherwise it's putting another mask on, isn't it? It's putting another mask on. But the problem with that is you can, you can pretend to be who you want to be. You can put that, that external liquor paint on, but deep down inside, behind, you've still got that black paint there. You've still got that old identity. So that, that's, that creates incongruence, right? That creates incongruence because you don't fully own the change or the transformation. It's pretending. Identity is so key, and so few people actually talk about it. 
even, you know, but what the way that we see ourselves, um, it's like, that's, that's why weight loss is so difficult for so many people because they still see themselves as that, that overweight person versus the person that they're becoming. And so what happens, uh, my, I'm a case in point, drop 65 pounds, just gain 50 back. It's like, okay, why did I do that? Because my brain is still back there. And I decided, oh, okay, I don't want to go through, you know, sugar withdrawal or whatever it is. So now back on the path to, to cut it again, but it's that identity that I have to keep in front of me. And if I'm, if I'm training my brain on, in my morning routine, I'm going to find much more success than if I just let the day go by. Absolutely. Identity and changing one's identity is a really important part of this journey because you, you, you will grow into your boots, so to speak. So one of, one of the, the parts of the process that we have, which is beyond making people aware of the pitfalls, we have a process that helps people to start to transform. So we help people to create a very compelling vision about where they want their life to be. That gives them a massive reason why, but that has to be aligned to their core values. Then we create um, uh, their identity, which is who do I need to become? You know, who do I need to become in order to have this or to fulfill this? And I'll just give you a very simple example. You know, if someone is an employee and they want to become an entrepreneur, they can't think like an employee anymore. They have to own and Huge have difference. the identity of an entrepreneur, yep. you know, and this doesn't just apply to entrepreneurship. This applies to different kinds of contexts of your life. You know, if you want to have the best kind of relationship, who do I need to be? Who do I need to see myself as? I yep. need to see myself as a worthy, valuable, Absolutely. lovable human being, right? Because that's what I'm going to put out there and that's what I'm going to attract. If we've got any limiting beliefs around ourselves and our identity, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, all that kind of stuff that would have been there from our childhood, if we don't clear that stuff out, then guess what? We're not going to attract what we want. It's the yep. same when it comes to abundance, when it comes to like wealth. You know, your self-worth has a direct impact on your, on your, net, you know, your net worth because the more worthy we feel we are, the more we're able to receive. All that's going to come back to our sense of identity and who we feel we are. So it's a very important part of that transformation is who do I need to become? Yeah. Who do I need wow. to become in order to achieve this particular goal? Makes a huge difference in sales and negotiations as well. Oh my gosh. I, what I wonder here, uh, as we get near our time, Akhtar, is this. You've shared so many amazing things and I'm going to ask you probably a challenging question. It's not the answer, but like the first thing that comes to mind most people I meet, <clears throat> when they hear the kind of things you're talking about, at least initially, they'll say, yeah, that's not me. <laughs> no, that's not me. I, told, I, have, I have totally believe in myself. I don't have self-limiting beliefs. And to me, I just look at them and say, <laughs> well, usually I'll say something like, wow, that's awesome for you. You know, thank I'm I'm grateful to meet someone who's in the top one half of one half of one half of one percent and they what they say well yeah so we have this belief system because i believe that is our greatest safety mechanism is to believe that it's everything else it's not me because that to me is the most terrifying thing (laughs) that where i am in my life and what i have or what i don't have is my is my responsibility and it's frankly i'll use it's my fault that's I don't want to know that. I don't want to believe that. And until I'm ready to accept that, I don't see any of this change happening. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, what would you say is the key, the single key for people to get past that belief system? They've got to be ready to hear it. Yeah, they've got to be ready to hear it. So 
let's think about it. Why do people do that? It's because for them to like put themselves under the microscope, it, it, it can be terrifying. It can bring up feelings of shame. It can feel up, bring up, bring up feelings of guilt. It can bring up trauma for people that they had. You know, if people have had like a lifetime of, you know, the punishment reward stuff, people have got hidden trauma that they don't even understand. So it's so unbearable for them to go, let me look at myself, you know, let me look at myself as being less than perfect. So I, I can't help everyone. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make it drink. So what I've found is when people are in enough pain or they haven't got the results they want, that's when they start to pay attention, when they go, actually, this stuff that I'm doing isn't working or, you know, my finances aren't where I want it to be or, you know, I'm not living the life I want. My, my wife or my husband is stressed out. My kids aren't happy. I'm clearly doing something wrong here and it's getting painful and painful. And then the fear of a divorce or the fear of bankruptcy or whatever else, that's what kind of prods them to go, I need to look at myself here. So I've seen it where people have been at that place where they're in dire straits, where they've been open to looking at, well, what is this? What is it in me? What can I do? Because the pain of not doing it and the consequences are just not, you know, it, 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 the tipping point is there. But, not, but people have to get ready to have to be to that point. I, I speak to people all the time that tell me they want this, they want that. And, and I sometimes deliver them the message they need to hear and they don't want to hear it. And they go, Absolutely. and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And, you know, I can sometimes be the messenger that gets shot, you know, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. You're full of BS, this, that, and the other, because it's a bad reaction. I go, hey, look, I'm coming from a place of love and respect, right? You told me that you're here. You want to be over here. I'm just giving you the feedback that you need because I can see this path that you're on. I can see all the things that you're tripping up on yep. because I've been there myself. Okay, I'm not criticizing you. I'm not judging you. I'm actually putting an arm around you with love and respect, trying to show you a path going forward so you can better your life and do the things that you want to do for you, your family, your loved ones. What you choose to do with that message is entirely up to you. So people have to be ready to hear that. People have to be ready to go, maybe, maybe it is me. Maybe I'm not doing something, you know? It's a and tough, the thing I tough say place to, people, to get to. It is a tough place to get to. And again, it all depends on people's life experience. If people have had critical parents that have been judgmental and they've been shamed for making mistakes, if they've had that experience in their childhood, it's a lot harder for them to hear that stuff because they'll perceive it as criticism. Where you've had someone who's a bit more relaxed or they've done, you know, they've, they've had, uh, you know, perhaps uh, some more loving parents or they've done some personal development work, they've overcome that kind of resistance to hearing stuff and they can take on the feedback. So it's, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes. Sometimes I see people and I go, wow, if only they could hear this message. They just, they transform. They'd like really accelerate, but we can't but they save can everyone. Hear it we can't help everyone. Without it getting, getting all the way through. I have a close friend who has had tumultuous relationship after tumultuous relationship. And she doesn't understand that the same person is in each one of those relationships. And there's only one way to fix the future and you know ultimately it, she has to be ready to change yeah it's it's all going to be with her isn't it she's attracting this type of per person to come back in her life either to resolve something that's unresolved in her past yeah. or she's got a set of beliefs that believes that she's got to attract this kind of people it's probably unconsciously familiar to her you know we mentioned earlier on about that blueprint stage you know first six seven years of a child's life that sets up the blueprint so the kind of people that she's going for would, would probably replicate what was going on for her in that, you know, at that point in her life, that was the benchmark and the standard that's been unconsciously modeled. So people have to be ready and there has to be a point where they go, Oh, you know, I've had 10 relationships now. It's the same guy with a different face. The same <laughs> right. thing I keep having the same pain. 
Um, yeah. It's not the guys. Yeah. The common denominator here is me. <laughs> you, you know, someone's got to get to that point where they've had so much of the heartache, the pain, the suffering, or whatever it may yeah. be. You know, however many experiences that's got to be, however many relationships, however many failed businesses, they've got to get to that point where they go, all right, I, I admit it, it's me. I can't go through any more pain. I can't go through my heartache. I can't go through any more suffering. And it's at yeah. that point, and I think I mentioned it earlier on, it's either desperation or inspiration. So yeah. they've got to get to that point where they go, all right, I'm ready to listen. What do I do? And, and how, I mean, it's like this person asks for help. It's like uh, you, you have great relationships. How, what do you suggest? I make a suggestion. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> they, 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 it won't sink in. It's, it's like you, you really want to help them, you know, love bottom of the heart. You want them to be happy. You want them to have joy, but there's something there. Yeah. They got to, they got to want to yep. change enough. Yep. This is just so good, Akhtar. Uh, and I know we could spend hours on this because it's, <laughs> You know, I, I believe this is a life. It may be hard. I mean, we've used the word pain over <laughs> and over. So going through pain, I'm not suggesting is easy, but I, fi- I feel like there's a simplicity to it. And it does, you know, how hard or easy it is depends on how vulnerable you're willing to be, yes. how much pain you're at, how open are you ready to be. But I think there's a simplicity to this. You've talked about a system. Uh, I want to make sure we hear more about that. So. Akhtar, uh, what in particular uh, do you want to share with our listeners that, that you'd like to highlight right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we, I did talk about pain. So if, you, if people are listening and thinking, hey, I, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> One of the things that we need to understand is pain is temporary. Okay, it's temporary. If you go to the gym and you want to work out and you're going to work out and build a six-pack abs, okay, you're going to go through a level of pain. You're going to go through some muscle soreness, but it's temporary. And one of the things I say to people is this, okay, Whenever you go for any growth, there's going to be, you know, some discomfort or some pain. But the key thing is when people come up against that and they deal with that kind of pain or discomfort the first, for the first time, it's petrifying because they're like that. Most people haven't been taught how to navigate those difficult emotions. Mm. So, you know, the first time they come up against their pain, if they're on their own, they'll do everything they can to distract themselves. But what they need to do is have a loving arm around them to go, actually, this is normal. This is Okay. You're going to get through this. You're going to come out the other side. One of the things I say to my mentees, and this is what I've experienced time and time again, I've been doing this for over 25 years. I still grow right now. I'm still growing right now. It's been a journey of like for a lifetime. I'm still growing. I'm still ascending. I'm still doing my inner work as I grow my business. When you get to that point where there's some discomfort or some pain, if you've got the tools, the tribe and the people around you that can support you to go through it, on the other side of that pain is a blessing. There's a God-given gift waiting for you. All your saved up wishes, all your dreams, everything is on the other side of that pain. So it's temporary. You just need to ride through it. And it might take you, I don't know, it might be a matter of hours that you're in discomfort. It might be a few days. It might be a couple of weeks. Could be a couple of months, right? But if you've got someone there that can lovingly put an arm around you and say to you, hey, Jeff, this is normal. This is part of the process. I've got your back. I've been through this myself. This will soon pass, okay? This is part of your healing. This is part of your growth. You know, this is in the gym, they call it delayed onset muscle soreness. You go and do some squats, you're sore for a couple of days afterwards, but then you're, you're stronger again. Well, this is the thing we're doing. We're doing the same thing here, but this is like an emotional, psychological, and a spiritual workout to go through that healing we need to go through so we can do that work, we can level up and reach our version of excellence. Mm. So this is the key thing. You've got to understand that process. 
You've got to understand that the pain is temporary. And then when you come out the other side, you'll feel a level of joy and happiness because that pain's healed and you won't have to experience it again. Well, that's a great way to wrap it up. All that you've shared, Akhtar. I uh, want to make sure you share. What's, uh, what do you want to share with our audience in terms of anything that you're promoting right now or highlighting in you or your business? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we have, um, for those of you who want to know more about this, we have a book called The Code of Reaching Excellence. You can hop over to our website. It's reachingexcellence.com. You can go and get some, some resources there. You can go and watch some trainings and stuff that we have there. We also have an academy. Uh, and inside that academy, we help entrepreneurs. We have people who are property entrepreneurs. We have business owners, uh, you know, business investors. We have people from all walks of, of life. But the common denominator, denominator is everyone is trying to ascend. So inside that, that academy, uh, we have courses. We have the Code Reaching Excellence course, which really teaches um, how to navigate the, the change, how to navigate the resistance. So this can be applied to any context of your life. It doesn't matter what you're doing, whether it's property or whether you're doing something personal. So we have the courses and we have the book that you can read there. Um, we've also got other courses that we do inside there as well. So we've got a course on marketing, uh, some mindset courses, uh, peak performance. It's everything. It's a holistic one-stop solution. We even actually put a course together really right now on unconditional love. And you might be thinking, what is it? <laughs> most people might think, what has unconditional got, love got to do with entrepreneurship? Well, when you, understand the, when you understand the mindset and the stuff that we've spoken about today, it's part of that healing journey. It's part of that transformation. It's almost giving people what they didn't get as kids so yeah. they can heal those wounds, overcome those glitches that stop the resistance. And of course, when you're around a tribe of people, it doesn't matter who it is, if you're around a tribe of people that are accepting, you're going to feel loved, you're going to feel more worthy, and it's going to help to heal those wounds. It definitely helps to help people to ascend and transcend. So that's what we've got in our academy. Again, if you want to find out more about that, just go over to our website and check it out. We will put all that in the notes. Uh, and in terms of contacting you, is, is what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, they, they, again, they can go to the website. If, they, if anyone wants to speak to me there, you can book a call with me. Happy to have a, a call with people. We can jump on a, a quick call, have a strategy session, talk about stuff. Uh, always happy to do that. So they can go and do that. There's a, a link on the website to book a call with me. Fantastic. Highly recommend that. Having, having known uh, Akhtar for nearly a year now, uh, great, great person to be able to help you out. So we always wrap up with a couple of questions, and uh, I have two for you, Akhtar. One is, what is the book, the single book, <laughs> that people need to read to have the kind of transformation you're talking about or begin the journey? Well, I'm going to be slightly biased here. It's my book. It's The Code of Reaching Excellence. <laughs> okay. The reason for that is because it will give you a blueprint. It will give you the, the Code of Reaching Excellence book is a blueprint. It's pretty much everything that we've discussed here. It's about understanding and it goes into a lot more depth about the things that are going to cause the resistance. And also it gives you the strategies as to how to overcome them. So that's, that's really been my experience. When I spoke about the, uh, the property mastermind that I went on to, was on and I was working with those coaches, I pulled everything I knew from personal development and this model kind of fell into place. So this is what, what I've been doing personally. This is what I've been teaching for over a decade. This is what we put into a book and also onto a course. But this is going to give you the roadmap to really, if anything that we've spoken about today is a challenge for you, if you're, if you're, if you're stuck trying to implement stuff, if you're experiencing stress, overwhelm, you know, all the kind of resistance stuff that goes on, then that's the book that you want to read. All right. And the second question then is, I want you to envision that you have the opportunity to have dinner with someone living. Who do you want to have dinner with and what's the one question you're going to ask them? A really good question. Who would I have dinner with? I'd love to go and sit and have dinner with Tony Robbins. That'd be a cool thing because he's a high energy guy. 
um, seen him in person a couple of times, but I'm always fascinated by how people think. Um, there's a guy called Vishen Lakiani from Mind Valley, again, personal development. Um, I probably want to go sit with Nelson Mandela. I think he'd be a really cool guy just to go and sit and understand him. You know, he's a bit more on the spiritual side of things. So I'd probably go and sit with those guys. And I think the, the question that I'd want to know is what drives them? You know, what drives them? You know, that would be the thing I'd want to know with anyone I sat down and had dinner with that I think was inspiring. Like, what drives you? What was your story? What makes you get out of bed in the morning? What makes you do what you want to do? Fantastic. Thanks, Akhtar. Thank you for being here, for sharing, and always yes. most important, thanks for the work you do in the world. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.